0: Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Hel Robach to the Table Talk podcast. Hel's career in food service spans more than four decades. He attended culinary school in New York in the late 1970s before enrolling in the hotel and restaurant administration program at Cornell University. During his extensive successful career, he created the Fish House, Timber Creek Lodge, Fire and Ice, and Frankie Tomatoes, All-You-Can-Eat Italian Feast. The latter restaurant was open 25 plus years and served more than 11 million meals and employed 137 employees. Sadly, earlier this year, Frankie Tomatoes became a casualty of COVID-19. Currently, Hell's entrepreneurial talent has him in a new field, creating Fluffy's Cotton Candy Creations in Florida with plans to expand In addition to being a restaurateur and an entrepreneur, Hal has served on the advisory board at Ryerson University School of Hospitality and Tourism. So good morning, Hal, and welcome to Table Talk.
1: Thank you, Rosanna. Morning.
0: So I see um, from the video screen that you're in the lovely surrounding with sunshine and no snow, and I believe you're in Florida, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: So um, we were talking earlier uh, just about the situation in Florida and I thought it it was interesting and perhaps we can start with that um, as part of our conversation today. Tell us a little bit about how COVID is down in Florida because it's quite different from what we're dealing with here in Canada.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Everything is wide open. There are no restrictions on seating. Um, Bars are open gyms are open, uh, where we're located in a mall, the only uh, restriction is that you have to wear a mask indoors. That's the only restriction.
0: That's incredible. And that's music yeah. to a lot of people's ears that are listening to this because it's, it's quite dramatically different here in Canada, as we know, especially in Ontario.
1: And it's also different in uh, other states. Uh, I, I just went to California. And California reminded me very much of what's happening in Ontario. That's uh, right. There was no indoor uh, dining, uh, takeout, delivery, and outdoor dining. No indoor Incredible. Dining. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I hope that, you know, we'll soon be seeing that here as more vaccinations come into play in Canada. I know we've had some serious distribution issues up here. And I know you're still going to uh, be down in Florida till the end of April, I believe you were saying. Um, So hopefully by the time you get back, Hal, things will be better here. I hope so. So I thought we could start off a little bit about your background. Obviously, you've been in the industry for a long, long time. Um, When I'm reading off your bio, it sounds as many years as I've been around in in my career, but uh, obviously a long time. Uh, tell our, our listeners who maybe um, are not as familiar with everything you've done just a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was quite fortunate at a young age, I knew what I wanted to do. So straight out of high school, I went to culinary school in New York. Uh, I'm originally from Montreal. And um, after that, I I worked a few years. Uh, you know, when you go to school, you When you graduate, you think you know everything. And uh, I quickly learned uh, or found out that I didn't know everything. And that kind of prompted me to go back to school. And uh, I was fortunate enough to go to Cornell at the uh, uh, Hotel and Restaurant Administration. And after that, um, I settled in Toronto. Toronto was where uh, the highest paid uh, job was for me. So that I had a student loan, so uh, my my, jo- my goal was to uh, pay off the student loan as quickly as possible. And uh, Toronto was great, and I've been I've been in Toronto ever since. So you,
0: your your work in the restaurant industry has really um, spanned quite a few different operations, and we we briefly touched on that in the bio. But maybe can you tell us a little bit about the um, the restaurants that you started with early on in your career?
1: So the first one was the Fish House. And um, I had my first job in Toronto was at the old Fish Market, if you remember that on Market, downtown. And uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, get promoted to director of marketing. And when we did an analysis as to where customers were coming from, um, I was amazed how many were from the suburbs, and um, there were no fish restaurants up in the suburbs, and I, that, that was kind of the, uh, uh, the gem of an idea, was to open up a fish restaurant in the burbs, and I was fortunate enough to find the one at Shepherd and Don Valley Parkway, yep. and um, yeah, it was a, a great experience.
0: That was a great restaurant and I remember any time I went in there it was always always packed and and really you were ahead of the time because you know even to this day there really aren't a lot of fish restaurants in Toronto if you really think about it. You're right. So quite leading edge at the time I believe.
1: And um to this day uh fish seafood restaurants do very well. It's one of the uh, food categories that uh people don't really cook at home and and would rather have that type of uh, food in a restaurant. So,
0: For sure. Um, So Hal, after a career that has been so fruitful, the last year must have been very, very difficult for you um, living through COVID. Obviously, um, one of your big restaurants that you've had for many years is the Frankie Tomatoes, or was the Frankie Tomatoes. And obviously through COVID and the pandemic, buffet restaurants really came under a lot of scrutiny and, uh, and a lot of issues arose because of that. Tell us a little bit about that whole experience. Um, and maybe we can start with just initially when COVID hit, what were the outcomes for your restaurant? I mean, you didn't close right away. What were you dealing with in those early days of the pandemic?
1: The early days, and I'm going back to uh, the beginning of February. Um, we did extremely well, and I think uh, one of the reasons was everyone was focusing on Chinese restaurants. So as a result, they were the they suffered the brunt of the COVID uh, problem in February, and. Uh, we reaped the rewards then things as soon as uh word came out i think it was the second week in march uh which i which also was march break which That's is right. historically an, a fantastic week for us um sales dropped like uh like a lead balloon really yeah. and um, you know what we went from doing 800 dinners down to like 150 dinners <laughs> it was just horrible so it took us a while to like shake our heads and 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 say hey this is really happening and then we got the word that uh, buffets were not uh we we weren't ava- uh, allowed to open right you know and to this day buffets are not allowed to open so anyways we tried to uh reimagine Frankie's, try and reinvent it. Looked at the pros and cons. Looked at what was happening in Las Vegas, which is kind of the buffet capital of the world. And um, you know, by August, we made the decision that um, it wasn't worth it for us to try and reinvent Frankie's, and okay. had to make the hard decision. To close it permanently
0: so you waited several months before doing that in that process in that period did you try to do like like i mean i know takeout would be a hard thing for you as a buffet obviously but did you try to pivot to something a little different or, or did you just say no it's not worth it right away
1: so in our mind we did but uh we never actually went through or followed up with uh uh making it all you can eat at the table like some of the buffets right. did or to pivot to uh an a la carte menu Fifty uh, 50 of frankie's business was large groups right you know so there you go on top of that was uh you know there was tremendous fear about um uh eating with other people, uh, whether there'd be plexiglass in between tables and, and that kind of stuff, things were kind of changing quite rapidly. Uh, more and more restrictions were coming on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we just felt that uh, that wasn't Frankie's. What people knew uh, cognitively or cogently about Frankie's, uh, they'd say, if we reinvented it, they'd say, what is this? Right. Yeah.
0: So that must have been a horribly tough decision for you. I mean, that restaurant's been around for what, twenty-five years, twenty-six years?
1: Twenty-six years, Um,
0: yeah. And it was a landmark up in, in that area, obviously, very, you know, even from a picture point of view, people always love to take pictures outside of it. What did that what did that process mean for you? You must have struggled with that decision for a long, long time.
1: Yeah, we did struggle with it. Uh, When we finally made the announcement, I think it was on a Tuesday, and we also announced that uh, we were doing our final goodbye on the Saturday with free pizzas, I was absolutely amazed at how many people came to take a last photo of themselves in front of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Right. Uh, My God, I mean, to be quite honest i had no idea that we were that popular
0: <laughs> <laughs> you must have had some idea Hill. Well, i it was
1: it, it was very flattering you know
0: and that was a great send off too to 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 be able to give out those free pizzas as a thank you to to all your patrons over the years
1: yeah and the proceeds um we also made a donation to uh the march of dimes which was our our charity our our partner yeah
0: that's great so how many people did you have to let go through that process employees when you closed
1: everyone 137
0: and um in making that decision did you leave the door open at all to say we'll be back or has that been it's done
1: well you know, as we sit here and we're talking, I, you know, I'm hoping or I'm thinking maybe one day the uh, things might turn around, but uh, I, I wouldn't put big odds on that.
0: Right. All right. And um, now that, you know, you're saying that, what are you doing these days? Are you looking Um, Are you looking to basically say, all right, that's my career and I'll go somewhere else, do something else? Um, Or are you looking to maybe not necessarily come back with Frankie's, but maybe a different restaurant concept when all of this is over? Have you given any thought to that at all?
1: I have. And also down in Florida, I started uh, a new venture called Fluffy's Cotton Candy Creations. And it's something I saw in Asia uh, on a trip two years ago and I was absolutely amazed at uh, the lineups and the attention that um, uh, in in Asia, they create animals and other characters out of cotton candy. Incredible. And I I looked at that and I said, wow, you know, this is, I've never seen anything like this in North America. And uh, we, I opened up the first one in November of this year, of 2020, and I had no idea how it would do. So it was like I took a shot. Right. And uh, I'm knocking on wood. Uh, It did extremely well. It's still doing well, and hoping to open one more up in March and another one up in April.
0: That's amazing. All in Florida, hell?
1: Yeah, in Florida. Seems to I, put, I put a feeler out to uh, uh, Cadillac Fairview in uh, in Canada, and uh, we're talking. Interesting. <laughs> but, but malls are, all the malls are open in Florida.
0: I can't believe that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: It seems like that would be a great product, too, at, you know, places like Disney or, you know, amusement parks and things yeah. like that.
1: Wherever there's kids. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. That's great. So you're hoping that you can translate or transfer that concept up to Canada when, once you return? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you've gone from restaurants to cotton candy. No more restaurants.
1: <laughs> well, uh, never say never. And um, I'd say the good thing is I have some tremendous people that worked at Frankie's that I would love to reconnect with. Mm-hmm. And um, who knows, right now as it stands, I wouldn't, make, uh, I wouldn't make any plans to open a restaurant in Canada uh, until things, uh, we see which way things are going.
0: Sure, now that makes sense. How about the whole concept of ghost kitchens? You know, over the last year with the pandemic, um, a lot of restaurateurs that perhaps are more skittish about opening a restaurant have turned to that whole new concept of ghost kitchens and still preparing food, but not having to worry about, you know, having people sit in your restaurant to eat it. Um, is that an idea or a concept that you think has some traction uh, in the industry these days? And as we move out of COVID, which will probably take a little bit of time.
1: Yeah. I don't think it's a fad, I think it's a trend. And this trend was happening even before COVID. COVID just accelerated uh, the ghost kitchen uh, concepts. And it it makes tremendous sense. Uh, Lower overheads, um, a special facility, just focusing on takeout uh, and, uh, well, takeout and delivery, but mostly delivery.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: uh it it makes perfect sense um so yes it will continue it will grow i think covid uh covid has uh i was just looking up some statistics covid ha- in the states has uh taken uh ghost kitchens from five percent of of takeouts up to 20 percent
0: that's right
1: takeouts yeah, yeah.
0: It's huge, and it's really accelerated. Or
1: delivers,
0: yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, I think has come out of COVID, which is a good thing, is innovation. You know, the crisis, I think, has given everybody um, that little impetus to get more innovative in their approach. And, and that's been expressed through various different things, whether it's the ghost kitchens, the meal kits, um, other trends that have happened and surfaced through the last year. How do you... Um, How do you think the industry, I guess, what other innovative ways and approaches can restaurant dining exist in this new normal? Because even after we get the vaccine, I think initially there's going to be some time needed for people to feel more comfortable going out. What do you see as some more innovative approaches that restaurants can uh, tap into? I mean, you've got such a great mind for restaurant dining. You know, you've this has been your, your home for a lot of years. What, what do you see?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very politically incorrect here <laughs> and, and say that, um, if the government and the, um, the health authorities stop scaring people, uh, that's really the major, uh, roadblock to restaurant success, uh, in dining, like dining. Um, uh, I think there's tremendous, tremendous, uh, demand for uh dine-in. And, um, if the government would just, and the health authorities just get out of the way and stop scaring people, uh, that's, that would be the biggest, uh, uh, improvement for dine-in if covid continues uh, or the fear continues i could see private dining rooms Mm -hmm. Um, there's a concept in new york that i saw and they were converting hotel rooms into private dining
0: that's right they've done that a bit here in toronto as well
1: Okay. okay And I, I can see that happening where there'd be parties of 10, it would be a, a, a set menu uh, so that uh, people could would prepare the food during the day and then the group would come in at night type of thing. Uh, that might be uh, a trend that might happen. I think that takeout and delivery is, is gonna continue to grow. And it was continuing even before COVID uh, just because of our lifestyles and what have you. Um, they were talking and I think they already did it about not putting ovens into uh, condos in downtown <laughs> Toronto. Like what for? Right. <laughs> Cooking. Yep. So uh, and this is even before COVID. So that will continue. Um, I, I, You know, Frankie's was so much about not so much just about the food, but it was about celebrations and Mm -hmm. entertaining. Uh, If a guest was coming from out of town, it's like, where are we going to take them? Oh, well, we got to take them to Frankie. We got to show it to them. Right. That has not disappeared. Um, And once again, even buffets are open down here in, in Florida. You know, incredible you know and um, I'm hoping that that will uh, you know that will uh, flourish again but here's my caveat in 2001 this uh, this guy Richard Reed gets on an airplane and uh, has explosives in his shoe. And now in 2021, or right. years later, we're still taking our shoes off. That's right. Before getting on an airplane. Yep. And that's kind of what scares me. What scares me is the government and the health uh, regulators, uh, you know, are gonna make it so difficult for the restaurant industry, uh, especially restaurants that have uh, an entertainment value, that mm-hmm people were craving um, and still do, but they're going to uh, kind of uh, affect that.
0: So you believe that even down the road, once we're through with this pandemic, buffet restaurants will still be greatly impacted for years to come. Is, Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Although buffets can still exist in a different format where you have someone serving the buffet as opposed to people getting their own food from, you know, from the stations. Could that not work?
1: So they tried that in uh, Vegas and, uh, you know, I was quite the student to see uh, what was happening. Uh, I just came back from Vegas um, and uh, there are no buffets on the strip. Really? They're closed and... Uh, they're being changed over into Interesting. other concepts. So wow! Well, you know, who I, knows? As it all for yeah. sure,
0: for sure. So, what do you? Um, I mean, we've touched on some of this, uh, I guess, in the last few minutes with your answers. But what do you see as the biggest challenge for restaurants moving forward? I mean, obviously, we have to get through this difficult period, we? and we don't know how long that will last, but when things start to move back to some kind of normal, what what do you think is the biggest challenge for restaurants coming out of this?
1: Uh, <clears throat> consumer confidence. And uh, what I've seen down here, uh, and we can project ahead as to what it would look like in Canada uh, mm-hmm. in the future, is that uh, the chains or the recognized uh, uh, names in the industry uh, have a tremendous advantage. It seems that consumers are um, more confident.
0: You're talking about the brands, the actual brands.
1: You know, large organizations that they would have much better uh, sanitization uh, standards and what have you than uh, smaller restaurants
0: so i mean that's interesting because you feel that they have more they're perceived to have more sophisticated um, procedures in place correct so what does the small restaurateur do uh with, with that i mean how do they deal with that
1: well that's that's uh they have to somehow get across uh their their sanitization and their cleanliness uh, procedures and what have you. Uh, not only that, but also in food preparation. You know, that is going to be a little bit of a uh, a, a roadblock for uh, for independent restaurateurs.
0: And and part of that roadblock, Hal, I I believe, is really also the cost involved when yes. you look at the cost of you know putting all of these procedures into place whether it's the you know the protective shields or or just even all of the equipment that goes into it it's a big big cost for a small restaurant and how do you how do you pass that cost on to the consumer when there's already you know sticker shock for a lot of consumers when they go to restaurants so i think that's part and parcel of it i would i would assume
1: yes and i th- I think it's very similar to when they uh they raised the minimum wage from $11 up to uh, 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But I believe that there is a tremendous demand from consumers and boy do they miss restaurants. <laughs>
0: they I miss restaurants too.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, we all do and I think this um this pandemic has really shone the light at how important restaurants are as part of our communities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you you, you believe that even though w- once we're out of this pandemic, you believe that we're still going to be having those same procedures in place in restaurants. This is not going to stop once the pandemic is over.
1: Unfortunately. Um, and once again, I'm being political here, but uh, you know down here in florida we have a governor that uh is very pro-business very um uh, you know it's a red state <laughs> and uh you know he has the courage uh and the uh you know the, the tenacity to say no the, the the state is open for business uh where take uh, another state like california and it's very much similar to Canada.
0: Right, yeah. From one state to another, it just differs completely.
1: Right. Right.
0: So Hel, do you think restaurants in the future will be forced to become smaller, you know, smaller footprints with all of these restrictions that we now have in place?
1: I think so. And if you remove the entertainment value, uh, whether it be uh, something Like like Frankie Tomatoes or something that's involving entertainment or um, uh, some other uh, you know singing or Mm -hmm. uh, performances or something like that. Uh, Yeah, it makes sense that it'd be a smaller footprint.
0: So I mean, we've seen about ten thousand restaurants close over the last year in Canada. Um, What's your take on where the industry is going over the next while? Do you think there's going to be a lot more closures. I know it's I, nobody has these numbers for sure, but what's your crystal ball telling you?
1: Yes, more more, more closures. Uh, the, the, the ones that can hang in there and that, that are uh, brands are gonna uh, do much better. The, the big uh, losers are gonna be the small independent restaurants
0: Hal, as someone who's been in the industry for a long time and and dealing with, you know, being a leader uh, for a long time, do you feel that the concept of leadership has had to change through COVID? I mean, I know that you closed the restaurants after a few months, so you haven't been, you know, um, working through the whole COVID period. But did you find that the leadership concept for, in in your mind, changed during this, this crisis?
1: I was talking to a good friend that has uh, eight restaurants in Toronto and uh, I went to visit him uh, during COVID Uh, and he was open in all of his restaurants. And I said, so what's the hardest thing? And he says, the hardest thing for me is to uh, walk in and have a smile on my face, knowing what's going on, to try and buoy all the... uh, the staff's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, feelings and uh, and confidence and what have you. Well, if that's not leadership, I don't know wh- what leadership is. I mean, that's really a tough, uh, a, a tough thing for a leader to do. So yes, COVID has uh, COVID has done that to, uh, you know, to, to restaurant leaders.
0: Yeah, it's been, um, obviously, it's very hard to, to lead through this and to keep those positive vibes going when so much around you is collapsing. But um, yeah. but it's necessary, as, as you say, right, uh, because you need to inspire people to keep on going.
1: Absolutely.
0: So um, I guess, you know, when I look at the industry or when I look at the last year, I think it's given everybody... A really good time to reset and to pause and to look at their lives and maybe examine it in in you know more in deeper ways. What, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned or taken away from this pandemic? And I know you've dealt with obviously, uh, you know, very difficult decision in closing your restaurant and must have just created a lot of lessons for you along the way. What have been some of your biggest takeaways?
1: Uh, I'm always amazed at the goodness of people, especially those on the lower uh, lower income levels. How generous they are, and how how um, how how good their hearts are. And I'm 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 really speaking about um, you know. Uh, the majority of my staff, uh, a lot of them are, uh, have been supporting each other. Uh, there's a strong uh, community amongst, uh, uh, amongst the family as, as we like to call it. The other thing that uh, I think that COVID has done is uh, people have realized, I don't don't have to work in an office anymore. I can work at home. And as a result, I don't have to live in close proximity to, you know, where the office was or- Exactly. Yeah. And as you know, and they're moving farther afield. And I know here in the States, Florida is booming because people from other states are saying, you know, with a computer and, uh, and a telephone, I can, I can live in Florida and, uh, you know, people will still think I'm in New York.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's very true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and lifestyle, you know, that life is short, uh, as a result of COVID, uh, you know, but, uh um, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't think the restaurant industry is, uh, is dead. It's, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna come back. Don't know when, and don't know to what degree, but, uh, the demand for, uh, for going out and whether it's having a cup of coffee with someone or a glass of wine or, um, uh, celebrating a birthday, that's always going to be there
0: and i think this has created a lot more pent up demand after being you know a year without restaurants right
1: yeah absolutely and travel and tourism and yeah, all of that sure
0: so how do you worry about whether or not people will still want to work in this industry with with everything that's happened in the last year do you think people will look at this industry differently
1: so that's all part of the equation, we're going to have less restaurants, less restaurant seats. Um, and I think it'll all balance out, it'll all equal out. I I understand that uh, the government is, uh, Canadian government is planning on bringing in more immigrants, uh, you know, in the future. So, uh, the restaurant industry will welcome them. and. Uh, and train them and give them their first opportunity in Canada.
0: So any um parting words of advice for other operators who are living through this difficult time from somebody who who definitely went through a, a difficult time last year with your own restaurant?
1: Wow. <laughs> well, I you know for those that are are, are sitting on the fence and maybe, racking up credit card debt and, uh, what have you, um, uh, that are struggling. Uh, there's no shame in closing and you can always start again.
0: Right. Those are wise words. Sometimes you just have to know when to pack up. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And it's not their fault. No, it's no one, you know, it's no one's fault. And, um, and you can always start again.
0: Well, I have faith and confidence that one day soon we'll still see hell roll back, back in the restaurant industry. Um, I know it's in your blood and I know you have a lot of passion for it. So I, I wish you the best over the next few months as we move through this uh, cycle. and uh, And I look forward to seeing you sometime down the road when things are better.
1: For sure. Thank you, Rosanna. Nice talking to you.
0: We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.